Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with SSNC Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, my guest is Igor Grubisich, Director of Strategic Practices at VMware, a well-known leading provider of multi-cloud services. Igor and I will be talking about the incredibly important topic of bias, specifically in the area of artificial intelligence. Igor, welcome. Why don't you start us off with an introduction? Thank you, Brad, and thank you for inviting me. It's really a pleasure being with you here. As you mentioned, I'm a director of strategic practices within VMware. I started my career more than 15 years ago as part of SAP. So I was a consultant, technology consultant for SAP for financial services industry. And then I spent time with different clients and practically going in and out of SAP within the SAP ecosystem before I landed at VMware. But throughout all that time, I kept an eye on different emerging technologies and AI being one of them. So it's a topic that I've been following for years now. And one of particular interesting elements of that topic is the the dark side, as some call it, it's bias and decision-making that AI is doing practically on our behalf. So that's how we ended up here, I guess. You cannot talk about AI without bias coming up in some context. And you recently wrote a very interesting article on bias that hit my radar. And I I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast to talk about it with me. Without a doubt, the hottest topic of the day is the emergence of generative AI. It is very pertinent to Blue Prism as our digital workers provide a gateway to and guardrails around Gen AI. And as all organizations come to terms with Gen AI and how it's going to change their business, the focus immediately gravitates toward governance and ethics and, of course, bias. So let me start with this. What prompted you to write this article about bias? It's a really omnipresent topic in our life, bias as such. But with this new hype, and and I deliberately call it hype around Gen AI, it kind of resurfaced again within the tech world. A bias in AI, that's not new. It's been known since the 70s, but with the chat GPT and large language models, it really became more omnipresent, if you will, because right now we can actually see the influence of bias in AI in our everyday life. Because earlier, you could have seen uh, the bias effect in AI in kind of closed environment in the rare cases where the industry is using it. But right now, if, if you look at it, everyone is talking about Gen AI, using Gen AI in more like everyday use cases. So that kind of prompted me to raise my voice, if you will, to say more about the influence of bias and what that really is or is not and how that affects the use of AI and the applications of what we consider AI right now. 
Okay. Well, one of the most provocative points in your article, Igor, and the one that really caught my attention is that bias is not necessarily bad. When most people hear the word bias, they immediately think of the most negative examples in society. Can you explain your point of view here? Oh, you're right. When, when we hear the word bias, we usually think about something negative. And in a, in a concept of society, usually something even racist to some extent. That, that's one of the most prevalent understanding of bias. But the dictionary definition of bias is your subjective opinion about something that may or ne may not be wrong. So if you look at everyday decision-making and the, the big decisions that we make in our life, those are all bias-influenced decisions. And as I saw in one of, of TED uh, presentations, speeches, um, the aut author said bias is essentially a survival skill. Is if you're going down the street and you see a large dog without the owner going towards you, you're going to cross the street. It's kind of a survival technique. Mm -hmm. As much as it can be good, it can be bad as well. That's, that's obvious. But that's why I call it a survival skill because um, your decisions that are driving your everyday behavior are biased decisions. And something that I read in one management book while I was a student several decades ago, uh, it said that when you as a manager are giving your professional opinion, that's not an objective opinion, that's your subjective opinion. It's your subjectiveness that's making you an expert. And your subject subjectiveness is basically your biased view of the world and the causality within that world. That's why I'm arguing that bias is not necessarily bad. It can be good as well. Yeah, this, this is all very intriguing to me, this idea that bias is what defines us or makes us unique. And you talk in the article about individual subjectiveness, which you say is our most human-like trait, the very foundation of our decision-making process. It's part of our uniqueness, which most would say is a good thing, <laughs> but it's also the source of AI's susceptibility to bias, right? So can you elaborate on that? But that is exactly that kind of love-hate relationship with bias, if you will. Because uh, when we train AI to provide certain output, we are putting in the training our own personal bias, right? And the more people you have on the training team, the more different bias options you will embed inside the model. And not every bias is known or you're not aware of every bias that you are carrying with you, because that is a collection of your previous experiences. And that is actually what I call in my article, kind of the innate human trait, to connect the dots that are otherwise unobtainable to the AI. These personal traits of human mind, of us humans as an entity. So one of the things being empathy, sympathy even. So that is mm -hmm. not something that we are able to describe is even on a psychological level, it is not something that is fully understood by science. How does that work? How our brain forms and neural pathways that lead us to a certain empathic or sympathetic condition or decision, if you will. This is why when we are talking about bias and the 
bias-driven decision-making, we can't actually single out uh, a single human trait that is responsible for that. And this mm. is basically why we can't really program an AI to behave in a human-like manner. There was a, an article in IEEE uh, in 2017, I believe, and the authors asked several of AI experts to give kind of an example of wh when will actually computers be capable of doing human-like decision-making. Mm -hmm. The answers would surprise you because they varied from never to just in a few years. But one of IBM leading scientists said, this set of innate human traits is exactly what's stopping AI to become human-like and to make human-like decisions. And uh, I'll just tie that to the problem of self-driving cars. We all know about the paradox. If the car yeah. needs to decide whether to help you or to help the pedestrian, and if it has to make a decision who to help, how would you program that? Mm. And if, if you think of your decision-making process, there are so many variables that you need to take into account. The age of the pedestrian, your age, is there someone you are leaving at home who needs you? Is there someone on the pedestrian side that's uh, awaiting the person to come home? So there's so many different decision factors that we as humans do subconsciously. And mm -hmm. the science is unable to kind of decipher our decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So without that, that deciphering process, we won't be able to translate that decision-making journey into the AI decision-making. Well, let's talk about the negative side. There are, there are plenty of well-known examples of how AI bias can lead to harmful effects in real-world applications, such as AI models that only grant loans to a certain demographic. Could you discuss the challenges associated with increasing the diversity of the training team in order to eliminate bias in AI models? That seems to be a pretty common approach these days. You're right. That is the most common approach to, and also the advice to diversify the training team in order to lower the bias effect. But the problem is we are all biased by nature. So increasing diversity of a training team will definitely increase the existing bias or set of biases within the training data set. Because every new addition to the training team will bring their own bias. And uh, to make things worse, while we may be able to account for known biases, and as an example, insurance companies sometimes give you a higher premium if you're driving a red car because red car is associated with sports cars. So you can say, okay, we're going to take that out. We're not going to take that into account. But with diversified training team, you may bring in biases that are unknown, that we are not yet aware of. Let, let's just pause for a moment and uh, look at the AI concept. So we have two major concepts, uh, artificial narrow intelligence and artificial general intelligence. So when we talk about AI, people usually do not make this distinction. But the fact is what we are seeing right now what's uh, being used by the industry and what's being used by scientists around the world is more in the bucket of uh, artificial narrow intelligence, meaning that particular AI is tailored and trained for a particular set of problems or maybe just a single problem. And that AI is really susceptible 
do the variance change. Because when, once you change the variance on which a model was trained, the model becomes useless to other use cases, other applications. Uh, and when you look at the AGI or artificial general intelligence, that's pretty much like a Star Trek thing from the sci-fi movies where you just give a, a request and suddenly all your problems being solved by the AI. This, we are far, far from that. And uh, it's a good question if we're ever going to achieve that level of AI. So going back to the most common AI applications as artificial narrow intelligence, we further need to narrow that down to the simple machine learning. Because most of the applications that we are seeing nowadays are machine learning applications and machine learning is a subset of AI. So it's not even full AI driven. Uh, if you look at ChatGPT, everyone is surprised by the capabilities of ChatGPT, but very few people understand that ChatGPT is basically looking at statistical probability for fitness of each subsequent word in the answer that, uh, that ChatGPT is giving you. So it's again, a form of machine learning. We can't really discuss the proper AI element here, although it looks like that. And it, it's mm. really amazing that there's no doubt about that, but the hallucination that you're often seeing with ChatGPT, it comes as a as consequence of this statistical probability that ChatGPT is using to provide the results. And then as part of that, there comes the bias. Is the, the database that not only ChatGPT, but BARD and all that large language learning models are using to provide the answer to your question, those databases are unfiltered, meaning that they are full of bias, both harmful and good. And because these large language learning models are actually looking for statistical fitness, mm -hmm. they are it, by, by their nature, incapable of distinguishing between good and bad bias. And they're only capable of eliminating what the training team team tells them it's not good. So we are responsible for putting the boundaries around that, but we can put boundaries only around bad things that we are aware of. Yes. The ones that are, that are obvious. That's a really great point. You brought up human traits earlier, like empathy, innovation, sharing, caring, things like that. It, all of which are very hard, if not impossible for AI to fully grasp. Why do you think these traits are necessary to eliminate negative bias? Well, because that's what makes us distinguish from positive and negative bias. We can pretty much understand when our behavior is hurtful or damaging to someone or something. Even when we are not maybe consciously aware of that, we are capable of understanding the consequence of our doing. And that is because of our innate human traits like empathy and sympathy and emotional intelligence, if you will. So we all know there are multiple types of intelligence and like emotional and social intelligence being two of the components of a larger set. This is not something you can program because we don't understand how our emotional intelligence and social intelligence is constructed in our mind. How do we make these decisions? We can say, yes, this thing that I'm doing is wrong because of the societal norms that I'm surrounded with. But even without that, we have a feeling, if you will, for the lack of a better term, that something is good or, or bad. 
And AI doesn't have a feeling. It's, it's a programming. So the, it's programming will tell it if, if something is good or bad. Hmm. So how you are going to program an emotion or a hunch? Really good point. <laughs> That's not an easy one to, to figure out. So Igor, in your opinion, what role should AI play in decision-making processes? And how can organizations strike a balance between human judgment and AI-generated insights? That is, I think, the, the most common question nowadays. And it's definitely one of the many questions I receive from my customers nowadays. How can we leverage AI and make sure that we're leveraging well? First off, we saw uh, the hallucination capabilities of AI. And the first thing we should do is be constantly aware of that. The way these new large language learning models are giving us answers that can be deceptive because it really looks natural. And that was the purpose of it, by the way. So of course it's going to look natural, but we need to keep in mind that natural looking output is just a statistical probability. So instead of blindly relying on what AI is doing, we should work on first knowing how to query AI, how to give instructions and ask questions. It's really funny when I, when I see some of my colleagues, they use please and thank you when they converse with AIs, which, which is strange. I mean, I know that's part of our upbringing, if you will, to be polite. But at the same time, when you do that with AI, it personifies AI and it, it takes you to a zone where you don't want to be, where you think you are conversing with an actual person. That is the first mistake. I'm not saying you, you need to stop being polite, but you need to be aware that you're conversing with an algorithm. And the role of an algorithm is nothing more than to make your life easier by giving you suggestions, not by telling you what uh, you should or should not do. When we are using the new Gen AI models, we should look at that as kind of, let's call it an advanced version of the office productivity pack. Microsoft is going to release, or they're going to release it today, maybe even I forgot the exact date, Pilot. And Pilot is practically an embedded Gen AI into their office pack. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be able to search through your entire document stack and provide you more meaningful output when you ask, for example, hey, where did I put this and that? And it will be able to link different documents yeah. to give you the result. That is amazing. And mm -hmm. that is how you should use AI. Give me a framework. Give me a starting point. Give me just a summary, but don't make decision on my behalf. That is how we should use AI. So don't rely on AI to make decisions on your behalf, but mm -hmm. use it as a tool to give you pointers and to practically shorten your data collection and data analysis time. And let's not forget like the key difference between data and information. Data is just an yeah. observation of the actual world. Information is what you make out of data. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you are doing the information part and let AI do the data collection analysis part. Yeah, that's a really good way to frame it up. So Igor, let me go back to what you were saying earlier about the training of machine learning models. I think what I heard you say is that because these models are semi-supervised, in other words, machine learning engineers 
help the algorithms where needed to produce better outputs, that the models as a result are subject to bias, bottom line. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And that was, again, the whole point of training with the current training approach, you won't be able to unbias the training process. And that ties back to why I think it's not good in most of the cases to diversify the training team because that brings more biases in. And don't get me wrong, certain types of AI applications do require a large and diverse training team. But we have to be mindful here where new bias can be harmful to the learning process and where not. And mm-hmm. just one example. So we know that you can use AI in image recognition for, let's say, cancer discovery. Mm-hmm. At least not from what comes to my mind right now. A more diverse training team shouldn't be careful with that process. I read somewhere that the Department of Justice is using AI to decide if a felon will commit new felony in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. So if this can be tricky. It is really tricky to understand if a more diverse training team will bring more good or more harm. If you keep just a narrow training team in this particular case, you can already know what type of biases that team will bring in. So you can control the environment more easily than diversifying. And then you have suddenly a bigger set of biases that may or may not be hurtful. So how about this? I've seen examples of people asking Gen AI to produce specific types of images and the models have been trained to push back based on what it deems to be offensive. For example, I might ask it to create an image of an odd looking man and the Gen AI that I'm using tells me that it is programmed not to produce such an image, which it believes to be intended for bad purposes. Igor, isn't this in and of itself an example of bias? It is. It's actually another form of negative bias. You shouldn't limit the training in, in that way that you just described. The better approach would be AI to come back with a question, define an odd-looking feature. Mm-hmm. Because what, what does it mean to be odd-looking? It, mm-hmm. it can mean a lot of things for different people, depend on their cultural background, depend on, depending even on their geographical background. Mm-hmm. I remember once, like a long time ago, I ran a marathon on the Great Wall of China and I was running and I was about to give up. And then suddenly next to me was a heavier person. And that Mm -hmm. person just ran like a wind next to me. And I was like, wow. And that inspired me to continue. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a blog post at, at work because they wanted to kind of hear about my story. And I wrote an article and then HR said, you can't call this heavier person. So I said, well, how should I call that person? Should I call it like overweight person? How can I call it? And they said, well, you should redact the whole paragraph and take it out. And I'm like, well, now you're being ridiculous because you are now (laughs) denying that person's success because that person was my inspiration. So. Are you now telling me that that person doesn't exist because it doesn't fall into your societal norm? So I can't mention that person. And it was exactly the fact that that person was heavier than I am that inspired me to go further because what's my excuse? If that person can do it, Mm -hmm. what's my excuse not to? 
Right. So it was inspirational for me. And that's why I think training the AI model to reject and decline every request that is not socially acceptable is the wrong way to do that. And by the way, socially acceptable where? Yeah. In California, in, in the US in general, in Canada, right. in Europe. So what does it mean socially acceptable? That's right. another problem. You know, it's, it's a very valid point. Igor, you mentioned in your article the importance of trust in AI. What strategies or measures do you recommend for organizations to build and maintain trust in AI systems? Well, that's a tough one. I, I guess if I find an answer to that question, that's already a step towards Nobel Prize. Uh, but uh, I mean, trust in AI, so what it really means, we can define that as a, how credible is the output that AI produces, right? And then it really depends on the context. It depends on the need for credibility. So do you need like 100% credible output? Do you need 80%? What good is good enough? Let's call it that way. So to make sure that we do have a credible output, first, we need to know what is a credible output for us? What is the level of credibility? And it's a good question if we are ever going to be able to create a credible enough output. Because if you go back to one of the examples, uh, like estimating the felony rate or propensity to commit a new felon by a former felon. So what is credible output there? What if the AI said 5%? Is this credible? Or it says 90% and based on what information? So as long as we have less than perfect understanding of the involved biases that are part of the output, we won't have a proper measurement of credibility, say. Is a credible answer or output that with no bias inside? And if that's the case, what kind of bias, good or bad? And I'm going back again to something I said in, at the beginning of this interview. So if your subjective opinion is what makes you an expert and your subjective opinion is also subject to your personal bias, unbiasing your opinion will bring us to objective opinion, which everyone can give us. So it's an unexpert, just objective opinion that doesn't lead you anywhere. So you already knew an objective answer to, to the problem. So what is the credibility here? So I would say at least at this point in time, a trust in AI is left to every individual to decide on the level and acceptability of the output. And this ties back again to your usage of AI, your use cases or how you use it. Don't trust blindly into everything that AI produces. Take it with a grain of salt and use it as a tool to form your decision, but not as a single tool. That's one of the tools in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. So use it to create a framework for your decision-making process. Use it to give you a new perspective that you weren't aware of, but don't rely solely on AI. And I think that is one of the ways we can increase trust in AI, or as the three-letter acronym agencies would say, trust but verify. That's probably the best way we can increase trust in AI. And that mm -hmm. will also help us increase the trustworthiness of output over time, because we will discover more and more biased or negatively biased mm -hmm. decisions or outcomes by the AI if we verify every time something that feels off. 
And even, I mean, you use AI, this new large language learning models, you notice that when you get something that seems to be a credible information, sometimes you have a feeling that something's off. So we, we can describe, like, how did you come to the point that you have a feeling that something's off? Well, what's your feeling mm -hmm. based on? But your feeling prompts you to verify the information, right? Right. And by verifying that information, you're actually increasing trust in AI. Even if you, your verification turns out to be negative, mm -hmm. that is also some form of increasing trust in AI because now you know where you stand with your AI. Yeah, in our world, we like to say that machine learning models, automation, all of that is augmenting humans. It's not replacing. As well said, it's, it's an augmenting feature and not a replacing feature. Yep. Well, this topic will continue to evolve in the years to come. As it's been said, every company is an AI company. So figuring out how to deal with bias, both positive and negative bias, has got to be top of mind. It's got to be on every corporate agenda. So Igor, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today to discuss this. You have a very interesting and unique perspective, one that has definitely expanded my thinking in this area, and I know it will do so for our listeners. So thank you again, and I wish you the best. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.